Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Please open in your Bibles to Acts. So we'll begin in verse 31 here. Now, it's, it's truly remarkable. We've seen just incredible persecution and affliction, right? We see Saul, Tarsus, and everything that's gone on with that, chapter 9, verse 31. And we have saw this, and here we pick up, and I, I don't know about you, this really encourages me. I mean, it is, it is tough sometimes walking in faith like that, you know, faith to faith as I like to call it, where you don't know what's going to happen ahead, you don't know about your health, you don't know what's going to happen, your children, you know, we've just been reading about this plague, the flu, and many are sick, many are, unfor- you know, the Lord's calling some home. And it's difficult. I think of Cindy's dad right now. Cindy's dad's in the hospital. You know, he walks, his breathing goes down to 60%. His heart's functioning at 15%. You know, but we know our God is big, isn't he? Is there any end to what he could do? If God wanted to right now, that man could stand right up and walk and begin to take care of the nurses in that hospital, couldn't he? Is our God not big enough for that? But our God also has a divine plan. And sometimes that divine plan is, hey, I really want to be with you physically. So I'm going to bring you home and we're going to be together. Now, many times we fear that, right? We feel, oh, that's, that's death. Yeah, we call it death. God calls it new life and life more abundantly. That's what he calls it. What many of us fear so much about getting sick and God calls that, well, that's, that's I'm bringing you home. If you're a born again believer in Christ, I'm bringing you home. What do we have to fear? You see, I I know Peter got that. And as we read today, he's going to be stepping out. And he's going to be going into some uncharted territory. He watched the master. He watched Jesus do this healing. But Peter himself, he he never had this in discipleship boot camp. It wasn't like on the the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 where where Jesus said, well, this is exactly how you do it. When someone needs to be resuscitated, you, you get on your knees, you pray this prayer, this is what it looks like. There was no template for this. He had to be spirit led. And the entire book of Acts is about being spirit driven. That's what, that's what this entire culmination, and again, we're living it out today. It doesn't end 2,000 years ago. No, God's just getting warmed up. And he's just getting working through you and I and through many more. If he should tarry, I don't know how much longer because we are in the last days. I don't know how much longer he'll tarry. But if he should tarry, through your lives, my lives, the way he's touching others, drawing them to himself. It's only God and to his glory. We serve the greatest God ever. He gives them strength to the, to the weak, to the downtrodden, to the empty and brokenhearted. I don't know about you. I, 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 in the last few weeks, have had those moments of brokenness, those moments of emptiness. As My kids are sick and I couldn't do anything to help them. My wife was sick. And then, I, then I watched some of the flock get sick and I, and I, and I Lord, what can I do, Lord? I, oh, I don't... And he said... You're, you're doing exactly what I've called you to do. You're on your knees. Your knees are getting worn out. Good. You know, I had a, a brother, one of our elders here come this morning. He says, my, my knees are getting like camel knees anymore. He says, they're getting so just calloused and, you know, like that from being on my knees in prayer. And I said, what a great testimony to Jesus Christ. People that pray together stay together. And on top of that, we get to celebrate communion today right, the first Sunday of the month, man, I, if you can't tell, I am just absolutely, absolutely excited.
because I know what God's doing in our lives and I'm seeing God heal. I know he's gonna heal Jim. I know he's gonna heal so many, you know, Carol and Tim's mom like that, or yeah, you know, he's just gonna continue to work. So let's, let's get into our, um, into our passage here and so many more in the fellowship. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace, peace, in the middle of oppression and affliction, in the middle of death. This is real, right? This isn't, this isn't something that we, we see, you know, just made up. Or No, 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 this is real, peace. And they were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They were multiplied. We're going to camp out on this first verse for a minute. I have, I have some notes that the Lord sort of put on my heart here. And we'll come back and talk a little bit more what this idea of the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I think we understand that, but, but the idea here is this church the early church was growing and prospering, right? Now, it wasn't relying on any one person. Notice Philip was being sent here. Saul of Tarsus, obviously he's not even, you know, he's, he's going to go on down to Damascus. He's going to be there. Uh, and we know he's going to go to what? Tarsus, back to his country for 10 years, 13 years. He's sort of ministering in that area, right? We're going to see Peter. We're going to see John. The rest of the, the disciples there in Jerusalem, but many more are going to be reproduced you know, disciple-making, through all of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. That's where the early, you know, church, and they went out for that, the diaspora. Because of all the persecution, it caused, God caused through that diaspora, he allowed it to do what? The multiplication of the church, because they moved and they got out. What did God call them to do to begin with? In Matthew 28, 19, get out of Jerusalem, go to all parts of the earth. But where did Peter, John, and everybody else stay? Jerusalem. So God allows, do you see what he does here? He allows the, this difficulty, this oppression and affliction to do what? To be obedient. So often God will allow, if we look at some of the sort of principles, God will allow difficulties in our lives to sometimes put us back on the right path. Why is that important? Because we don't want to be Job's counselor. Sometimes we'll seek difficulty for someone and the immediate thing is, is that brother or sister in sin? That shouldn't be our first thought. Our first thought should be to pray and want to encourage them, not to say, well, you know, they're in sin that way. Right? But, but our, our flesh, our flesh loves to make conclusions and dump the conclusions, doesn't it? Instead, we see this great multiplication of the church. Real church growth based on God's word alone. No programs. I like that. Now, you have to also understand, I mean, this is survival at that time, right? It was survival. It was the moving of the Holy Spirit without distraction. There wasn't this half in the world, half in the kingdom. You, you couldn't exist. If the minute you declared you were a Christian, you were an enemy to the state, to the nation of Israel, to the government, to the Roman government. Why? Because they would have looked at you as one that was going to overrun or try to overrun a tyranny, a terrorist act. Isn't that what they charged Jesus Christ with? being a terrorist, that he was going to destroy the temple. That was the trumped-up charge they tried to bring on Christ, right? Pontius Pilate knew it wasn't true. He knew it wasn't true, right? So I, I just think how far we've come prophetically in the word of God, and yet some, not, not all, and I want to be clear about that, some, some of the church has continued to, unfortunately, 
slip into this comfort or indifference. We have to guard our hearts, friends. We have to guard our hearts from the indifference and conformity and comfort of the world. Because it is so easy to forget our, our calling, our purpose, and what God has designed for us, and we begin to want to blend in. Or we begin to naturally, by not doing anything for the work of the kingdom, what do we end up automatically doing? Blending in. Because if you're not for him, you're against him. Right? That's what his word teaches us. And I know that grieves many of your hearts this morning. But, but we have to be prepared. We know that in the end times there will be a great falling away. Now I pray that's no one here. We know there'll be a great falling away. God's given us a direction. He's given us a purpose and plan. We need to be sober-minded. The stakes are high. We are talking about people's souls, their eternity, and the choices that they'll make. Peter made that choice. This is the same man that denied Christ three times. This is the same man that would insert his foot in mouth when coming up to God and going, no God, you're not going to go to the cross. That's, that's not the plan, Jesus. At least not my plan. But do you see how God works through anybody's inadequacy with a humble heart? Do you see what God can do? That means that I can joyfully look out at you all and say there is no one disqualified here. There's no one that will miss the mark that way if they put Christ first. Because our God's a loving God of forgiveness and repentance. That's who he is. He's a God of forgiveness, a God of love, and he, he desires repentance, which brings about right relationship. So as we see here, as this, as this Saul of Tarsus, persecuted church, we see that it got built up, that it actually grew in strength. That's what we see here, right? And this makes sense, actually. You see, when you meet with Jesus Christ and you're walking in the gap, you really begin to understand that you have an enemy and you really begin to count that cost. You don't go through the motions. When your own flesh is at stake because of what you say you believe, you take it serious, don't you? And that's exactly what they were living. They weren't, it was, like I said, they weren't going through the motions. And I'm, I'm just incredibly encouraged by that because they found peace in that. They were edified in that. And it's exactly what Jesus said. If we lose our lives for his sake, we gain our lives. It's the exact opposite of what we would think logically, isn't it? It's, it's the opposite. He says, if you lose your life, you gain it. If you, if you try to gain your life, you're, you're, you're going to what? You're going to die. And, and if we try to logically process that, I don't know about you, but it... It doesn't always equate outright, but, but I know my God desires obedience and mercy more than sacrifice. He's not, he's not interested in me being all about work, 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 and there's no relationship. You see, it's, it's got to be both. That's what it looks like here. And then we read, if you look back to the text here, it says the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. 
It, and what do we see the result of both? When you have both of those, we see this multiplication, right? Why? Why would the church grow? Why would the church grow when we have a fear of the Lord and we have comfort of the Holy Spirit? Fear speaks to obedience, not terror. That's what it speaks to here in the Greek. It speaks to obedience and not terror. God's saying, if you desire me, you'll put me first. That means you'll take your ideas, my ideas, and you will subject them, you will subjugate them to God's design and plan for your life. Maybe you all, some of you have different ideas for your life and what that should look like. But when you run it through the grid of Scripture, you find out that something's not adding up. God's telling you, do this, do that. You know, his commandments and statutes that way. There's too many to go through all of them right now. But you, that, forgive me for saying do this, do that. You understand what I mean. But you come back and go, you know what? No, I, I think I want to do this. And I know this isn't popular right now. And I know you, you, you'd probably your hearts are going, oh, there's Pastor Matt. He's going again. He, he's pricking that. No. It's not me. This is the Holy Spirit. If, 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 if there's anything there, let the Holy Spirit work. Let him till it up. Let the Holy, give him, per, give him, invite him and give him permission to till up that soil in the heart. Because many of us, sometimes we can get a little bit of a rock here or there, a little hard ground here or there. I know I can. I know I can. And I pray and ask, God, you come in and you till that up. Because I might have an idea or a plan, Lord, and, and then you come back and say, in your word very clearly, this. And young people, young people, what has God called you to do? Obey your parents? Honor your parents? Hey, not so young people. What's God called you to do? Honor your parents? Do you see that? It's a principle God has given us that extends. We go from obeying once we're married to honoring. We can't put our ideas above God's plan. We got to be careful. That's a very slippery slope when we find ourselves doing that. When God tells us, hey, I want you to go to, you know, pick the area, and I want you to minister to the people there. Well, Lord, I, I really like, you know, North Carolina, Florida. It's a little warmer. There's, a, you know, the ocean. How about that, Lord? That seems like a nice place to minister. No, I want you to go to the jungle in Central America. Praise the Lord. Okay, God. How many of us kick against the goads? And yet, you, when you make that trip, oh, what a blessing. David and I had an opportunity to do that a number of years ago. Met some of them, the greatest, nicest people you ever want to meet. They just need Jesus. We all need Jesus, don't we? They need encouragement and building up. We all need that. So, so this idea, that's, that's this fear. It's the obedience and not terror. And the other side of that component is comfort and strength in the Holy Spirit. It's the fullness of both. That's why my prayer for this flock, for, for the body of Christ this year, we just had our new year a month ago. It's hard to believe we're already in February, isn't it? Is that we return to God. If there's any of us that have slipped away I once had a pastor, he, he, he gave a beautiful illustration. You've heard this before, maybe some of you that have been with us for a few years. He had a door, and he was at the other side, and he began to show how when he was taking steps that weren't necessarily wrong, you might say, but they did create distance between him and God. And he would take a step, and while that step seemed, you know, 
inconsequential at that moment. Through the continual steps, he found himself over on one side of, of the platform, and he looked at his hand because he thought he'd be able to touch the doorknob to walk through the door because what did Jesus say? If you open the door, I'll come in and sup with you. I'll be able to come in and, and minister to you. And, and he thought he was there, and he realized he was way over on the other side of the platform, and he said, this is my life. He goes, this isn't, this isn't something for the church that I'm saying, hey, look at, look at me. No, this is what I want you to know. This is what happened in my life. I began to worship the works of God instead of the God of the works. I began to look at what God's doing and looking at all the blessings, and I'm focused on more on that than what God's done and ministered in my life and how I have surrendered and entered into right relationship. I remember hearing that that day. I was cut to the heart because I stood up and I went, you know what? Amen. He said it like it was. And that was what was going on in my heart. And I bet that's what's going on in a lot of our hearts at different times in our lives. Not all the time. But there's times we can have that slow indifference. And as we start this new year, we need to model it off the word of God. Our lives, our, the pattern of our lives should be touched by the fingerprints of this word. We should be shaped and molded. Our ideas, our, our passions, our desires, our dreams should all come from this. God's design and plan. His will be done. So, they walked in fear of the Lord and in comfort of the Holy Spirit, and they were multiplied. Now, the focus here is going to shift to Peter right until about chapter 13, and then we'll, we'll be re, well, we'll see Saul Tarsus, you know, we'll see Barnabas go after Paul at that point. We'll use his Roman name. But, but until that point, we're going to be looking a little bit about Peter because God wants to show us more about Peter, and I'm so thankful that he did because, again, we can look back at this man and we can come to a conclusion about Peter, couldn't we? pretty easily. We know enough about him. He's one of the, the men or characters in the Bible that we've seen his good days and his bad days. And, and we, can, we can all, I think, all of us find ourselves walking in Peter's shoes, if we're being honest. But we see this Ananias, right? Or Ananias, or however you'd like to pronounce it. In verse 32, it says, now, it came to pass, as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints. Now, now circle that with me. Right? We see that term used. Now, who is he talking about here? Born-again believers. That's right, us. The church. Born-again believers in Jesus Christ. We're called saints. This isn't somebody that's, that's put up... Uh, you know, after they die and then somehow we bring them into a, a, a time of prayer and we, we canonize them or we make them a saint. No, God says that, that we're the saints. He says that he also came down to the saints. Oh, by the way, they're alive. They're living. That's good. You and I are, are considered saints, born-again believers by Jesus Christ. Blows me away. Not about you, I mean, about me. It blows me away. Just in case any of you were unclear where I was going with that. It blows me away. And they dwelt in Lida, right? We also will see that in verse 41 again. They'll be called saints again. Now, we did see it one other time, by the way, but that was referring to the Jerusalem saints. Now, we're, we're, we're going to be looking at, you might say, these saints that are being called out that will be outside of Jerusalem. So, so why do I make that distinction? Because it's Jew and Gentile. It doesn't matter. They're called saints if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. That's what we see here, okay? So we see that it says that 
that they came through, right, all parts of the country, and then he came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. Now, boy, I mean, you think about this. Peter's going to find this man of God who, who wants to be healed. He's been sick for eight years, right, like that. And I imagine he was probably thinking back in Jerusalem, Lord, how do you want me to serve? What do you want me to do, Lord? I imagine he's thinking, you know, God, I, I, I went to the, room, you know, the prayer room faithfully in the upper, upper room like that. You brought about the Holy Spirit. I went, I went up to prayer at the temple, and I watched. I was on Solomon's portico, and I watched men, you know, many men and women coming to me, and they were, they were amazed, and I drew them to you, Jesus Christ. I healed another man. Even the religious leaders challenged me. And I went back, and I drew them to you, God. Just, just as we've been reading through the first nine chapters of the book of Acts, we've seen all those things happen. But now he comes to a point where he's going, wait a minute, Lord, I remember before you ascended into heaven, you told me that I was to get out of Jerusalem, that I was to go to the four corners of the earth that way to spread the gospel. It was no longer about my convenience or comfort. I'm married. I have children. Peter was married. More than likely had children. It wasn't about that. It was about how could I serve you, Lord? Right? And obviously bring your family with you. Why not? Right? If the Lord should lead. So Peter's praying, I imagine. He, he must have had a dialogue with God. And, and did you catch something that, that happens here? Peter, he goes to, well, he's going to go to Joppa, right? But before he gets there, he's going to this man, Ananias, or Ananias, right? Ananias there. Or Ananias, depending on how you want to say it. And there he found a certain man in Aeus who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeus, Jesus Christ heals you. Notice that Peter doesn't say, I heal you. Did you catch that? Jesus Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. And so all who dwelt in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Man, there's a bunch of things that happen here. First of all, Peter gets out of his lazy boy. Right? He's probably got a nice chair back there. He's got the lazy boy. He gets out of the lazy boy, and he gets busy doing God's business. Well, that's the first thing we see that we need to do. We need to get up and go. Excuse me. Wherever the Lord shows you, we need to get up and go. That's your neighborhood. Could be your neighbor. Could be another continent. Wherever God is calling you, you need to be faithful. You need to go. You need to do it, right? That's the first thing, right? He sent him to this area to particularly minister to a people or a group. And I imagine he, he probably wasn't in his comfort zone. Remember, he's going to be coming out and he's going to be hanging around some Gentiles. Normally, good Jewish boys didn't hang around the Gentiles. So, I mean, you, you got to understand the dynamics of all what's going on in Peter's head and his heart and what's going to be changing here as we read this passage, there had to be some things that Peter had to deal with. I mean, Lord, for my whole life, 30 plus years, whatever it's been, Lord, I, I was not allowed to associate with these, this group of people. They were considered unclean. I didn't even go to Samaria where they were half Jews and associate with them, Lord. And now, God, you're calling me to this people, to, uh, this group, and, and you want me to fellowship with them? You're going to want me to eat with them? Which again was also not something practiced. I'm just a real guy. Something had to happen here, though. We can understand it here, 18 inches between our brain and our heart. 
We can process the word of God here and we can trip over it here. We, our hearts have to be in check. And so he goes and he finds himself in the middle or snack, you know, smack dab in the middle of the ministry for God with this man here healing. A principle we find over and over again in the word of God is if you step out in faith, God will answer. God will show you. Many times he shows you first and then he asks you to take a step of faith. And then once you take that step, he begins to unfold his plan for you, for your life, for those around you. But it begins by you responding to God's call. It begins with you being obedient and a heart of obedience. Even before you actually step, even before you speak a word, it has everything to do with the heart. Are you conditioned to submission? Are you conditioned to submission? I'd ask all of you that this morning. That's between you and the Lord. But it's awful difficult for God, not that he can and he does, but it's awful difficult for God to use a man or a woman if they're not con- conditioned to submission. Because often they'll find excuses or, or different things in their lives that says, well, Lord, I, I know you're asking me to do this, but you can't mean me. You know, I, I've got a life of drug addiction. Well, yeah, but you got saved and God made everything new and he hit the reset button. Well, Lord, you, you, you can't possibly mean that you're, you're going to use me because, you know, I, I didn't even graduate high school. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, luckily, God didn't require seminary. He required the Holy Spirit. That's all he required. It, it's a heart issue. You see, we can put these things and trump them up. It's a heart issue. If you step out and serve, you'll be amazed at what God will do. I've watched that even in our fellowship. Men and women that have stepped up in different areas and needs. We, you know, we're, we're st- I still say we're a young church. Two years going on there. We're a young church. And we've got so many needs in the body. People that need you know, help or assistance or, or prayer or encouragement. Things around the church. You know, all these things. And you know what? People regularly step up to teach the children to help people. To go deliver meals. To do things like that. To meet the need of the body. And you know what I really love about this church? Is, oh, by the way, it doesn't stop there. They get outside these four walls and go to the community and knock on doors in neighborhoods. And if somebody's in need, they'll bring a meal. We have people that we go and visit, we pray for. We They're not even part of the church. It's not about that. It's about reaching them with the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever you are. And if you're a brother and sister in Christ, you're part of the family, man. Wherever you're fellowshipping. We need to minister to you too. We need to encourage you too. Because sometimes you go, I don't know if you've had the experience, you go to the door, hi, I just want to tell you we're having a park outreach. It's an exciting time. We're going to have, come on out with the family. We're going to have skateboard, you know, the whole thing. Aaron does, you know, skateboard ministry. We got Ruben and Andrew with the teens and they do a lot of activities and all the things, are, everybody's the food and everything. Come on out. Well, I go to Bible Baptist or I go to this church or whatever church. Well, that's great. Praise the Lord. Come on out. Right? Like, like somehow we've, we've created these silos, even within Christianity. I, I can be guilty of it. Sometimes I'm like, but it's not Calvary Chapel. Well, Jesus Christ in heaven isn't going to go, did you go to Calvary Chapel? No. He's going to say, did you read the word of God? Were you faithful with what I had given you? Did you bury that one thing or did you multiply it five or tenfold? That's what he's going to say. 
because he loves you and he desires the very best that you have and can offer to the kingdom of God. And we have to remember that. You don't even need to leave the country necessarily. I mean, I, I, I'm talking to another pastor about potentially, as I mentioned, a, a, a trip to, to Kentucky where we'll do a missions trip, maybe in the June, July, sometime time frame. We'll go down for a week. We'll go to Kentucky. There are so many in our area and states and, that have needs. Maybe go to Philly. Some of you are, what? Go to Philly for a ministry. Oh, yeah. Kensington and of some of the neighborhoods there. Oh, wait a minute, Pastor, that's really dangerous. I, I, don't, I don't, what? It's dangerous, but don't they need Jesus? Right? Harrisburg, right over here. Well, I don't know, I, you know. Jesus was very clear when he said, count the cost. If you try to hold on to your life because of fear or anxiety or control, I, I, let me just say, I get it. But if you try to do that, you are missing out on the very best God has for you. It's okay if we have a moment of fear or anxiety, but we cannot become paralyzed by it. All of us have fear. Just, just so we're all in check in this room, every one of us has fear and anxiety. Every one of us gets nervous. Every one of us gets belly aches. The feeling like you want to throw up. The lump in the throat. You can't speak. You don't know what you're going to do. You might have to run to the bathroom. Whatever your condition of the manifestation physically of what's going on here and here can come out. But the reality is, is everybody's dealing with that to some extent. Everyone. It's not just you. Now, what do you do with it? Do you become paralyzed? Or do you get on your knees and you pray to God for strength as Peter did and said, Lord, use me, even if it costs me my life, my family's life, my children's life. God, I want to give you my very best. And I don't want to hold anything back. You don't want 50% of my heart. You want all of it. And it's easy for me to stand up here and say, I believe you and me. Boy, when I'm going through it, low, Lord, I know I said this, but God, give me the strength to live it out. Help my unbelief. God is okay with that sincere heart of a prayer. And we're going to see that with Peter. And that's why I'm bringing this out, because I have no doubt Peter thought all these things. I have no doubt Peter had to settle this in his heart, and I bet Paul, as we'll read, had to continuously settle this in his heart. It wasn't like he hit the button and it never happened again. Every day he had to give it over to God. He had to let go and let God. Let go and let God. That's what he had to do. And we're going to see here as he, he goes. Now, I want to I point some things out here, okay? Jesus heals today. We, we know that. Peter knew it wasn't his power. He knew it was Jesus' authority. Sometimes the answer is no. We, we have to be real. That's what the Bible teaches. It's not a lack of faith when the answer is no. Sometimes God's got a better plan. And if you were God and you could see what he could see, you'd understand why it's no. He has a better plan. And it doesn't mean it's not difficult and we don't strive with that. But Jesus is an authority, isn't he? And he has all power, isn't he? It's not the democracy of heaven. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom. When you spend time with Jesus, when you speak with Jesus, 
Your thoughts get renewed through the word of God. This is where you find your strength. It's not through pharmacia. It's not through, not that you don't, there's times where we need help. I get that. But it's generally not through pharmacia long term. Our strength is found in the Lord, the maker of what? Heaven and earth. We sing the psalm, we sing the, we need to, you know, I heard the worship team just this last week. I, I was privileged. I had finished up a counseling and I came down and I got to hear the worship team. And it's always a blessing when I get to come in and, and they, they have fun. And, they, and I loved what I saw them doing. They, they're sitting there and they're reading. They're talking about a, a hymn will come up and they're practicing a hymn. And then they begin to read about the hymn. And it's, you know, what was going on at the time. Oh, I was encouraged by that. Heartfelt. Because the worship teams, what do they do? They draw us to Jesus, don't they? They draw us right to the throne of God for worship. And I was just really encouraged by that. You see, when we spend time with Jesus and his word, you know, that's why a lot of you may remember the Maranatha music in Calvary Chapel. Many times, you know where that music came from that you hear? Right from the Bible. They'd pick a psalm and they'd start singing it. Pastor Chuck would be up there a cappella, man. And he'd, uh, I mean, he had that deal. He'd go at it. It was awesome. Awesome. That's why sometimes, well, I'll have you guys do acapella. Oh, that pastor, man, what are you doing? Look, at it, it, like, to God, it's always a wonderful, joyful sound when his people come together and worship. It doesn't matter if you have a good voice or, or you don't. The idea here is we need to increase and Jesus needs, we need to increase and Je- decrease and Jesus needs to increase. So we see people led to, to Christ, right? More is caught than taught and the gospel's preached. Let's, let's move on now to verse 36. Now this is really interesting, this area. Joppa. Now many of you have probably heard of Joppa in the Bible, in the Old Testament especially. Joppa was what? Well, one, it was a busy trade city, right? So we know that about it. But there's somebody else that, that we haven't studied yet. We haven't gone through the book yet here. But, but there's a gentleman or a character by the name of what? Jonah. Jonah was from Joppa. Do you remember that? This is going to be important because if we take that, and, and a good Jewish boy would have, would have known that. They would have been proficient in the, in the Old Testament. You know, they were still having it in school and everything like that. It wasn't like us in America where they took that stuff out of the schools, prayer and, you know, and the Word of God in the 60s and 70s like that. They had the Word of God. They would have known about Joppa. We're going to come back to that, but just remember that. As we read about this, how we see Peter respond compared to how we saw Jonah respond. Not how Jonah finished, but where he began. This is important. So at Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha. Now, her name means deer. It's, it's a beautiful name, like a deer panting in by the brook. Deer is what her name means, which is translated Dorcas. Now we get to that name and we're like, Dorcas, right? We, we, we have a hard time. Well, that's a beautiful name, Dorcas. I mean, like, but it actually was. The name was beautiful. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds. Notice that with me. Circle what she says, which she did. Which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. We're not given a lot of details of what happened. God's not drawing us to that part of the account. The point is, she was sick, she died. When they washed her and laid her in an upper room, and since Lida, or, you know, was near Joppa, and I have my notes here, I mean, you're, you're, you're talking 
not terribly far away from Jerusalem, some 25, maybe 30 miles like that. It's not terribly uh, far away here. But the idea is, is that Peter's able to quickly get there because that's where Peter was. And since Lydda was near Joppa and the disciples, they heard Peter was there, they sent two men imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Get out here quick, right? She's dead. Now, doesn't this sound familiar in our accounts of Mark or Matthew when we had one of the disciples that was dead like that and they summoned Jesus? Come quickly, right? Three days later, right? Can you imagine Mary and Martha at that moment when they were thinking about their brother? Three days? The body's already started to break down? This is important. You see, Peter's going to step in faith, but he's going to follow Jesus. He's not making something up new. He's following what God showed him. And it's a supernatural miracle, and we'll talk about that. Then Peter rose and went to them where he had come and brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. Now, I want to be very clear, you know, very careful and clear here in the book of Acts. We do not see as an ongoing practice that Christians are resuscitating the dead. And I say this because Unfortunately, there's been many accounts where I've heard stories from other pastors, other churches and situations, praise the Lord, generally not Calvary chapels, but where someone heard the word and they heard this teaching and then they turned around and their son or daughter was sick. And rather than taking their son or daughter to a physician or giving them Tylenol or, or something when they spiked a high fever, They got on their knees and said, God, we know you're the God of everything and all power and all glory. God, heal my daughter and I won't won't take a move until you do, Lord. And that poor child died. Clearly, that's not what God's teaching here. God isn't teaching it's a lack of faith to reach out to the help that, oh, by the way, God has provided because he's the great physician and he uses men and women in hospitals and places to help us. It would be unwise not to do that as long as we've brought it before the Lord. If somebody's trying to do that and it's harmful, then we need to, wait a minute, Lord, is this from you? You know, much like Preston with his Crohn's disease. We got this diagnosis and it was, oh, we said, wait a minute now. Lord, what do you want us to do? And the Lord brought us to another doctor that, that put him on a natural regimen that healed him. But it was God, but it was also that we didn't just sit home and ignore what was going on. This is very important. Now, we read throughout all the New Testament that we see resurrection of new life for a believer in Christ guaranteed. Guaranteed. Done. Jesus Christ can not only resurrect himself, but he can also resurrect every one of us, you and I. That's guaranteed. That's a promise. Okay, so we, this isn't about resurrection. This is about resuscitation. And this miracle, again, is listed in a very unique way or remarkable way you might, might see it. And we see and know that, yes, can God do this today? He can. Can God do this work today? Absolutely. Is it the will of God? Well, that's up to the Lord, isn't it? Sometimes he clues us into that and sometimes he doesn't. 
but we need to always be faithful to pray and ask for his will. And, and of course, if we need help, we get it. So he gets there anywhere. These, these widows are there. They're weeping, probably thinking, you know, how am I supposed to comfort them? But then he must have received the word from God. It, it's not saying, but, it, but something must have happened as he was there, because we know at this point, Peter really doesn't do anything unless God shows him to do it. He's learned that lesson. You know, hence when he said, hey, God, command me. If you desire me to come out of the water, I'll come, Lord. Right? Because this all goes back to John chapter 6 where, you know, they were going to crown him originally, uh, Jesus Christ King at that point. Remember that? And he turned around and he says, you know, boys, speaking to the apostles, get in the boat and get out to sea. Because he didn't want them to enter into this sin. He was actually protecting them by putting them into a storm, a trial. If you remember that, John chapter 6, you can go back and read it. So he was doing that, and in the midst of that trial and storm, the other men, then Jesus slowly slipped out of the way, and where did he go? He went up to the mountain and began to pray for the boys in the boat, right? The apostles. Well, so here we are. Well, here we are. I have no doubt Peter's on that water, and, and Jesus comes walking his way right on the water, kind of over the waves. Must have been really cool to see that. When we get to heaven, we can go back and watch the footage. And he was walking sort of like that on the, the waves, and all of a sudden he looks out, and he, and, and he sees it, and then Peter's like, you know, normal Peter, you know, think after I act, right? Normally he would have done what? Act first and jump. He'd have jumped in the water after him, just like when he sees him after, before he's ascended, right? After his resurrection, he sees him, what's he do? Takes off his robe. He's in the water, man. He's swimming up there and, you know, they're about to have kind of a meal thing, you know. But, but at this point, he sees Jesus, and now he learned. He learned a lesson at this point. This is the point in, in Peter's heart where we can see that change of heart where he said, command me, Lord, to come unto you. You command me to come out of the water. Lord, if it's your will, then I'll step to do that. And, and what does Jesus say? Come, right? And then he comes, and he keeps looking at Jesus. We don't have time to go through the old account. You can go back and read it or listen to one of the teachings, but you know how it ends, right? He has a moment of doubt because the wind catches him, something he hadn't thought about, probably didn't fear. It's never the things we think we're afraid of or worrying about. It's the things we don't see coming and can't anticipate. That's usually what catches us off guard. And so he turns around and, and, and he begins to sink and Jesus reaches out his hand and Peter's restored back in the boat and then they supernaturally get across, right? But do you see how this all shaped Peter's life? How he had to go through these circumstances, these trials, these, these moments where he began to trust God more than himself? Even through his moments of, of failure? God was using those failures to draw him closer to himself, wasn't he? teaching him. And he does that for you and I. So I have no doubt that he heard from the Lord at this point. He had to have heard from the Lord and God would have said, raise Dorcas or Tabitha from the dead. And I imagine Peter's next question was, Lord, how do I do that? I don't have a manual on that one. How do I do that? I mean, if God came to you right now and your child or somebody is there and they're sick and, and, and he says, raise them from the dead, you'd go, What's that look like? You'd probably go back to the Bible and read what they did and you'd follow it, right? You'd try to do what God has already given us in the instruction manual. Well, isn't that what Peter's about to do? <laughs> when we read Mark chapter 5, verse 40, that's exactly what Jesus did. We can find almost a parallel account of how Jesus Christ handled this. We see Peter, I won't use the word imitate because that, that doesn't imply the right heart. Peter begins to follow after what Jesus did. 
and he does it as Christ did it. And that's what we're to do as disciples too, by the way. We're supposed to grow and transform more into Jesus, less of ourselves, right? So look at verse 40, but Peter put them all out. He knelt down and prayed. That's exactly what we saw Jesus do. He pushed them out of the room, you know, get out. They were all crying. He says, okay, come on out. And he turned to the body and he said, Tabitha, kumi, right? What's that mean? Tabitha, kumi. It means arise, little girl. That's what it means in the Greek, kumi. Arise, arise, little girl, like that. Or Hebrew, I can't remember which one. Arise, he says, just as Jesus Christ had done. Right? Just as Jesus Christ had done. I like that. I like that we see that strength here from him, that, that we see him following in that he did just what Jesus did. He learned to follow Jesus and let Jesus lead. What it would be like for us if we learned that simple, simple but yet profound lesson in our lives. Follow Jesus, deny our own thoughts, pick up our cross daily and walk after him. He's got it. He's got God's plan. He knows he understands God's plan now. Then he gave her his hand. Well, actually, yeah, Peter put them all out and she opened, right, let me read the rest of the the passage here. And knelt down and prayed and turning to the body, said, Tabitha, arise, Tabitha, kumi. And she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints, those that were around at the time, those that were believers in Christ that were sitting around the disciples, and widows, he presented her alive. I can only imagine what their thoughts were at this moment. A miracle. A miracle. And we know that Peter didn't draw people to himself because as we read already with you know, Aeneas who was healed like that. He said, Jesus Christ has healed you, right? Jesus the Christ heals you. Jesus the Savior heals you. So we know Peter's heart's right here in this. And he presented her alive. Verse 42, And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many that believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon the Tanner. Whoa, er, slow the bus down, right? What did I just say? There was a lot there in that last three verses. And I went through them quick, and maybe you went through it with me quick, and you're going, wait a minute. There's two miracles there. Did you see that? Did you see in this account there was two miracles? Look at it again. I'll give you a moment. Look at it again. Then he gave her her hand, so she's you know, resurrected, right? She's resurrected. She's not, or she's, excuse me, not resurrected. She's resuscitated, I mean to say, not resurrected, right? She's resuscitated from the dead. She's brought back to life that way, not resurrected. And then what? What's the other miracle? Peter stays with Simon the tanner. That's right. That's right. I thought Peter was a good Jewish boy, right? He's a good Jewish boy here, right? What happened? Well, tanners were ritually unclean. And according to the custom of Judaism, he wasn't even allowed to be around them. And if he was, he was unclean for seven days, right? And yet he's going to stay with Simon the tanner. What is happening here? Why am I bringing this out? And why are you calling it a miracle? It is. Because if you look at Peter's heart, Peter had to do something here that he had not done before. And we'll see him struggle with it one more time. This time Paul will sort of convict him, rebuke him through the Lord lovingly when they're sitting down to eat. And Peter 
you know, the delegation comes down and Peter, instead of setting with the Gentiles as he normally does, he'll get up and go back to eat with the Jews. And Paul will say, why are we doing that now? Why are we changing what we do when someone else is around? Why does that change? Well, you know, the miracle here is he actually becomes more like Jesus Christ. He begins to deny the traditions of man. That's what he does here. The customs of the day. How many of us are familiar with customs and traditions even in religion? It's not about religion. It's about relationship with Jesus Christ. Christianity as a religion is beautiful. Not many people practice it. But as a relationship with Christ, oh my, everyone, everyone's welcome to participate. Right? And so he no longer elevated his traditions over obedience. That's important. He stopped doing what he thought was right, what he understood is correct. And he began to elevate God's design and plan over his own thought, over his own customs, over his own comfort. It no, matter, it no longer mattered what he thought was right. It, no matter, it, it didn't matter that way. It was, this is what the word of God taught. And this is what I do. And I, and I have to say that to all of you here this morning. If, if you're a believer in Christ, I, I gotta be real with you. I gotta be real. I'm gonna lay it down hot and I'm gonna say it like it is in the word of God. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you turn around and pick and choose what you choose to believe out of this word, that's a problem. That's not obedience, that's disobedience. If you turn around and take this Bible and say, you know what, I believe Jesus Christ, I believe the word of God is inspired, God ordained, God breathed, but I'm not going to follow it, that's a problem. Where do you draw the line? That is a deadly slippery slope. Deadly. And I use the word deadly. I use that extreme. Because the minute you start compromising on one verse, you will compromise on the whole Bible when it suits you. And you will find yourself in sin and you will sear the Holy Spirit to the point of where you won't even begin to hear from him anymore that way. Because you know more than God. And yes, this does happen to believers. This isn't unbelievers we're talking. Believers can have this. I can have this happen. I've had this happen in my life, in my past. Not since I've been a pastor, but, but in my past. I've had this happen. I knew what the Bible taught. And yet I chose to go my own path. And, and, and God will do whatever he can to get to you, to pursue you, because he loves you, even allowing you to be empty and broken. And that's his grace and mercy, because that's what real love is. That's what perfect love is. Because ultimately, he knows it's about eternity, not your feelings for the next hundred years. And I know that's hot and heavy, man. And I know I laid it down hot, and some of you are going like, you know what, I am never coming back to this church again. I am never going to listen to this pastor. This is, this is heavy. That word from the Lord, God be it, might save some prodigal in this church today. Some adult in this church today. Some wayward person that might be backslidden. Somebody on the radio or the website that's sitting in their car that says, why do I got to go into a church building? I can, I can just listen online, man. I can listen online. 
And look, I'm not knocking listening online once in a while, you know, for edification and encouragement to continue to build up. But we, what is church? We talked about it, Ephesians 4. We come together to be encouraged, to be built up, to be lifted, to minister one to another. How can you do that online? Sure, you're getting fed online, but how are you serving the body online? You might be getting fed and taught the word, but, but how are you getting about God's business? How are you walking up and discerning from the Holy Spirit? Just as we prayed out here with the, the staff and the prayer team this morning before we even started service, Lord, give me discernment of people's hearts that whoever's hurting, whoever's broken, whoever needs encouragement, God, show me that heart. Show, whoever, show all of us that heart that we would go over and put our hands respectfully around that person and encourage them. And not let them leave here until they feel the love of Jesus Christ. That they didn't just come in and punch a ticket. But they walked out of here changed. They lived Christ. They lived it. They lived it out here. So that as they go into the mission field, they begin to understand how to, how to follow that, how to do that. Because if you can't even do it in your own church, how are you going to do it for a stranger that you don't know? If you can't obey Jesus Christ... How are you going to follow someone else, you know, obey someone else that way, your mother, father, whoever in your life? If you'll compromise his word, where does it end? And this is important because this is a building, this is a milestone here. This is a milestone in Peter's walk. Because he's going to be sent to a delegation, he's going to come and get him, and he's going to go to Cornelius' house. Love Cornelius. Love that passage, love that chapter in chapter 10. But if his heart wasn't right and God had not already started dealing with Peter on this, when he had got there and the, the blanket, the thing comes down with the four corners and the food, clean and unclean, right, like that, Peter already doesn't understand when it first comes down. He doesn't know what to make of it. But how would he have been able to be used that way? He gets a vision and then he's summoned to Caesarea. How would all that work? God began already ahead of time to work on Peter's heart so that when he put him in that place, he was obedient and able and ready. That's how God works in our hearts and our lives. He's doing it now. He's doing it right now. He's washing your mind. The Holy Spirit is ministering to you. He's giving you what you need for this week, for the battle ahead, for the opportunity ahead, for the glory ahead, for the kingdom of God. And it's, it's truly miraculous. I mean, when you look at it and you begin to think about it, you know, what else can you say? Lord, thank you. Thank you for the difficulties, Lord. Thank you for the way you've you transformed my heart. 